Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Today on the Indo-Daily. The White House announcing blocking sanctions on eight wealthy Russians and their families and visa restrictions on another 18 Russian oligarchs. Tonight, I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more. Putin's cronies who are bolstering the Russian regime uh, and uh, trying to hide their uh, ill-gotten gains in luxury yachts, jets, luxury apartments, cars, you name it. Well, as the EU, UK and US governments respond to Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine with sanctions against Vladimir Putin's so-called inner circle, the flight of the oligarchs, and that's Russia's and indeed the world's wealthiest, is well underway. The wealthiest Russian money, including Vladimir Putin's, has pushed out to sea. Data from marine traffic shows oligarch yachts on the move, including aluminum magnate Oleg Deripaska's $65 million Clio and oil executive Vajit Aleksparov's $80 million Galactica Supernova. But who are these billionaire businessmen? Just how close are they to Putin? Indeed, what influence, if any, do they have over Russia's president? Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin calling a secret meeting on Thursday for his top 30 oligarchs to prepare for sanctions and to ensure their loyalty. Obramovich was there, along with Friedman and Russia's richest man, Vladimir Potanin. They all left Moscow in their private jets to return to Monaco, the Seychelles and other more comfortable locales. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and as the targeting of Russia's overseas money continues this week, we want to find out more about Putin's plutocrats, their lavish lifestyles and trophy assets that include everything from super yachts to posh properties, private jets to sports teams. And will efforts to diminish their wealth have any impact at all on the war in Ukraine? Joining me today are Irish Independent and Sunday Independent columnist Richard Kern and journalist Jason Corcoran. It's not just that Putin is an autocrat. It's not just that he is a dictator trying to undermine what had been a semblance of democracy in Russia. He and his oligarchic friends have stolen the property of the Russian People, the distribution of wealth in Russia is unbelievable. They've got it all. 
uh, while ordinary Russians are suffering. Richard, that was Bernie Sanders there speaking on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS. And he said the distribution of wealth in Russia is unbelievable and he's not wrong. I mean, these are ultra wealthy businessmen. Can you perhaps explain to me uh, where the, the word oligarch comes from and how it applies to Russia's wealthiest? Yeah, the oligarch uh, phrase, it comes from a Greek word, which means the rule of the few. And what's interesting about it is it says rule of the few or power of the few, as opposed to just the money of the few. And in a way, that sort of encapsulates the questions that have been raised about these very, very wealthy Russians and former Soviet country uh, businessmen who have made billions and billions of dollars, primarily in many cases from the sale of state assets just after the fall of the Soviet Union, where assets were sold relatively cheaply, uh, sometimes on the basis of political connections that people had to Boris Yeltsin and people around him and later to Vladimir Putin. So there was an opportunity there for them to make huge fortunes very, very quickly. And the big question mark now is, what is their relationship to Vladimir Putin and to the current regime? Do they have any influence on him? Uh, whenever they there's supposedly 50 of them who get together and uh, meet very regularly with Vladimir Putin. And you wonder whether they talk and he listens or he talks and they listen. So these uh, sanctions are very much about hitting their pockets, hitting their wallets, but also hitting their prestige. It's about sort of demoralising them, I suppose, in many ways. It really is fascinating to think uh, what goes on in these meetings. I mean, this very closed inner circle. Um, and of course, I mean, as you as you rightly pointed out, this kind of uh, all goes back to, um, the you know, the loans for shares scheme uh, where natural resource companies from the government were basically sold off to select tycoons. And then you had a kind of new wave with Putin in the 2000s um, coming back in, creating a new wave of oligarchs. And in turn, Richard, they would all still very much answer to Putin, wouldn't they? Oh, they definitely would. And you know, Putin very much calls the shots. There have been suggestions that they have a central role in managing um, and hiding his own personal wealth and how that exactly operates. Very, very few people know, but there's sort of suggestions that uh, Vladimir Putin is personally a very wealthy individual and has access to a lot of luxury villas and all that sort of thing. But as with many of these things, and this is an important point for the sanctions, you can sanction somebody and say, we're going to seize your yacht or your house. But in a way, you have to sort of prove that the person owns the yacht or the house. So what we're seeing at the moment are seizures of yachts and villas, uh, particularly in Sardinia, in Italy, some in France and elsewhere, where they're, they're saying that this yacht belongs to a particular individual oligarch. The reality is probably that that person may well control and be the beneficiary of it ultimately. but it's probably going to get tied up in all kinds of court cases now because these guys are experts at using opaque corporate structures to distance themselves from assets from which they may benefit. And they will, you know, they, they may well be owned by trust companies in the Cayman Islands. Uh, they will be owned by uh, companies, you know, in, in all sorts of far-flung tax havens. And it becomes very, very difficult to definitively establish that a person is the owner of a particular asset. So they're grabbing them now. 
it's very effective in demoralizing uh, the oligarchs. Uh, but whether or not they end up all, you know, in court and who, who will end up ultimately owning this, it, it could drag on for years. But it's a short term, high publicity, effective tactic. Let's look at some of the the better known oligarchs. Um, I guess Roman uh, Abramovich is the best known as the owner of Chelsea, who's now um, trying to to sell off the football club. He is very much because you know when he arrived in in Britain, he he sort of sort of almost introduced the idea of an oligarch to a British audience. He was very high profile because he bought Chelsea Football Club and and has remained so. He's an interesting guy because he came from the uh, the north of Russia and was a governor of a local region, but had connections to Boris Yeltsin. And like many of these guys, just after the, the fall of the Soviet Union, there was an opportunity to buy state assets. He bought a 50% stake in Sibneft, an oil company, uh, together with another guy, and they paid $700 million for it in the mid-1990s, which was kind of going on all around the former Soviet Union. And by the year 2000, that company was producing $3 billion worth of oil per year. So he decided to move to the UK and um, bought Chelsea Football Club, bought lots of huge, very high profile properties. He has a $100 million mansion in London. He has two yachts, the Solaris uh, and the Eclipse, which are both valued at sort of close to $500 million each. So he's now in the process of selling Chelsea and selling some of those very large properties. He has not been sanctioned, but he was um, referenced under privilege in the House of Commons as as a person of interest in relation to his relationships with the uh, Russian regime. And in addition to Abramovich, Richard, let's have a look at at some of the other uh, well-known uh, oligarchs. There's the Ukrainian-born um, Russian oligarch Mikhail Friedman. What do we know about him? Yeah, Friedman was one of the earliest guys because even before the fall of the Soviet Union, when uh, Gorbachev was was running the country, he eased up on the introduction of private enterprise and business. So even in, in the late 1980s, Friedman decided to set up uh, a window cleaning business, an apartment rental agency, an import company for cigarettes and perfume. But for him, his closeness to uh, Boris Yeltsin and and ultimately as well to uh, Vladimir Putin in the end was significant and, and is very important. I mean, his big break came in 1997 when together with a guy called Peter Avon, another oligarch billionaire, they bought... Um, a stake in TNK Siberian Oil Company for $800 million in 1997. And they sold their 50% stake in the company in 2013 for $14 billion. But since then, they have gone on to develop huge business interests. Uh, Friedman was behind the Alpha Group, which was a a financial business, banking um, uh, and investment company that was actually hired by uh, the liquidators of IBRC, the old Anglo-Irish bank, when they were trying to get uh, and establish uh, possession and ownership of former Sean Quinn properties. So basically anything that moved in the real estate business over there, uh, Alpha Group were sort of all over it and they were the people that you needed to talk to. Now, Friedman himself has stepped off the board of uh, an investment vehicle called Letter One, 
and it has not been sanctioned, but his shareholding in it has been affected by it. And Letter One is a huge multi-billion dollar uh, investment company. So th- he, he's a very influential figure and he's one of the, the older, earlier oligarchs. And he's actually, uh, he's, he's, he's one of a very small number of oligarchs who are, are kind of speaking out against the war as well in, in Ukraine, Richard. Do we know much about his lifestyle, though? Yeah, I mean, the lifestyle for him is uh, he, he was one of the guys who moved to the UK. Now, ultimately, yeah. they, they move around and they spend a lot of time in very sunny, expensive places around the world on yachts and things. But he, he's UK based. He has a house, um, a 65 million a pound home in London called at Lone House and uh, he, he would spend a lot of time in the UK. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it, in terms of how we're, we're talking about uh, the, the kind of money these guys actually have, billions upon billions. And we had two oligarch yachts um, at the centre of publicity recently. Alicia Usmanov is one of these owners and he has had UK and EU sanctions placed on him. What do we know about him? Yeah, he, he's an interesting guy. He has um, been connected to or linked to uh, the biggest yacht in the world called the Dilbar 512-foot uh, yacht. He has a company called USM Holdings and it has huge iron, steel and copper interests as well as telecoms interests. His connections with, with Britain and British business you know, go back a long way. He used to own 30% of Arsenal. And then more recently, uh, his company, he sold that stake. Uh, more recently, his company was a big sponsor of uh, Everton and that sponsorship has now been pulled. But the Italians have been very active uh, vis-a-vis um, a Sardinian villa that he has been connected with. Um, they've also seized actually a Lake Como house in the name of a Moscow TV presenter <laughs> wow. called Vladimir Solovyev. So um, they're hitting quite a few of these things. But it, it's interesting that... Um, you know, the likes of Uzmanov, again, would be seen as a very influential figure. All these guys are described as being close to Putin. Several of them have come out and said that they're totally opposed to um, the violence, the war. They want the war to stop. They want to see peace. They're not really saying anything like uh, Russia should not have invaded. This is wrong. What's going on is, you know, in contravention of Geneva Convention or anything like that. They're basically saying uh, war is not the solution. You know, we'd like to see a solution, basically. There's no harm reminding ourselves of how these ultra-rich Russians actually live, how they spend their money, basically. And I fell down a rabbit hole of YouTube clips and there was one from The Late Show with Stephen Colbert from 2017 where he visited a Russian billionaire called Mikhail Prokhorov and he owned the Brooklyn Nets at the time. Uh, But here's a little taster of how this man lives and spends his money. Okay, what is this? You said there wasn't a secret room. It's not secret. Is that a secret? It's just another door. What is this? It's Kalashnikov. Can I just stand just me, a picture of me and an oligarch holding an AK-47? Eventually, when I'm brought it before The Hague, I want to look nice. Oh, Japanese throwing stars. No, it's oligarch. Oligarch throwing stars. Every eighth grade boy is like, when I grow up, I'm going to have a secret room behind a wall, and I'm going to have... And then there was another interview with an oligarch 
called Sergei Veremenko and Vice magazine went out to visit this man in his huge sprawling estate outside of Moscow. And in addition to hunting and uh, helicopter rides, they visited his very impressive collection of Russian religious icons. After our caviar, Sergei took us to view his collection of Russian religious art. Valued at over $200 million, it's thought to be the largest in the world. So this is essentially one-tenth of Sergei's collection of icons housed here at a private museum. Not at his main house, just at one of the country houses he has and built a private museum. Jason, we've had some great insights there from Richard into the Russian oligarchy. But you're about to enlighten us on the term stoligarchs. Now, these are Putin's pals who control a fifth of the Russian economy, right? Yes. Uh, Stoligarchs are state oligarchs. So they're not the traditional oligarchs that first emerged in the 90s with the loan for shares. These are guys, these are clique around Putin that he's known since uh, he was young in St. Petersburg before he joined the KGB, which later became the FSB. Um, he you know, he got to know the Rottenbergs through the local judo club. And then there's a guy called Gennady Timchenko, who's also from St. Petersburg. And Igor Sechin, of course, who runs Rosneft, the oil major. Um, he worked very closely with Putin in the mayor's office in, in St. Petersburg. And do we know what these guys are worth or what they're spending their, their billions on? Yeah, well, their net worth, you know, ranges. Um, some of these guys are oh, quite modest. They might have single digit billions officially. And <laughs> others, according to uh, Forbes magazine in Russia, others like Timchenko, he probably has net worth in the region. He runs Gunvor, this big oil trading company that was based in Switzerland. He's, his, his net worth is probably nearer to 30 billion. So it's across the gamut, really. And there's been like a, a couple of names uh, beyond uh, Abramovich uh, that, that have become more familiar in recent years, namely um, Kirill Dmitriev, who we associate with uh, the Sputnik vac- vaccine. Yeah, Kirill Dmitriev is a very interesting guy. I just did a profile of him for Business New Europe. He's called the Kremlin Consigliere uh, because of his close connections with Putin. So he was born in Kiev uh, in Ukraine and left when he was 14 and went to America, has the amazing Western education, went to Stanford, did an MBA in Harvard, ended up working on Wall Street for Goldman Sachs and for McKinsey, and then eventually came back um, to Russia and works in Moscow in private equity. He was headhunted by Putin in 2011 to run the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which is huge a uh, multi-billion dollar sovereign wealth fund, which basically it does co-investments with other governments like Saudi Arabia, uh, Kuwait, and also like Western countries like France and Spain. So they invest in pre-IPO bets. Uh, but this was really successful, this fund, and um, it made some good, good investments and some investments were not great considering they were like basically investments in Putin's oligarch friends and stoligarch friends. Um, his success was noted within the Kremlin, and he was he was basically hired to pr- promote Sputnik V, which is the, the Russia's COVID-19 vaccine uh, developed by the Gamaleya Center. So he was on the road selling Sputnik around the world. I mean, Sputnik is a very valid uh, vaccine, very effective, effective in, in fighting the, the, the coronavirus. So he, he was helped by the fact that the scientists had developed a really good virus, but he was did a very good marketing job. 
a lot of people will have have uh, heard about the situation with UEFA uh, ending the sponsorship deal with Gazprom. In terms of, say, the lifestyle of Alexei Miller, I mean, is it as lavish as some of the other billionaires? Mm. Uh, yeah, no, well, he's um, he, he likes a good time and he's got the yachts and he has the villas and the estates. Um, but he is a, another stoligarch. So he's, he's he's an old friend of Putin's from St. Petersburg. So these guys are a little bit more key, low-key than your Roman Abramoviches, basically, or your Oleg Deripaskas. Um, they are involved heavily in sports. Um, they, 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 um, Gazprom is the leading sponsor of Zenit, FC Zenit, which is in St. Petersburg. It's basically the man city of Russia. And they have a big wages bill because they import all these players from Italy. And uh, even though they, they've hired, they, they hired a player from Liverpool, uh, a defender recently. So he was the captain, actually. So he is very close to Putin uh, historically. And um, they play hockey together. These guys, uh, we, we kind of call, call them, funnily enough, the geriatrics and ice, um, <laughs> Miller, Boris and Arkady Rottenberg, the brothers, Timchenko. Generally, they play Putin this game when it's Putin's birthday and they play against uh, a team of professionals. And then incredibly, Putin scores maybe six, six goals. Somehow he sort of, he 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 waltzes his way through the defense of professional uh, hockey players and scores all these goals. Um, so they, they go way back. Do they let Putin win, I wonder? <laughs> he generally seems to win. Yeah, every single game that I've watched, uh, <laughs> Even against Lukashenko, who's probably a little bit younger and a bit bigger uh, for the ice hockey. But generally, Putin just always seems to manage to scrape a victory. And I suppose just to get an in, a little bit of insight, uh, because, I mean, you lived in Russia for 12 years, um, Jason. You've covered Russia and the region uh, for 15 years. It, these guys, these oligarchs, I mean, are, are they are they known within their local communities? Are they really looked up to or, or what is the state of play? Do they have any interaction with the majority of people in Russia who aren't uh, earning uh, maybe enough money to put food on the table? I think they're quite divorced from reality, uh, Sean. They live in these ivory palaces and they have a huge security detail and uh, they have these massive yachts and their interaction with um, you know sort of the hoi polloi the ordinary Russians in St. Petersburg and Moscow is minimal and you know people they're in the magazines of course there's you know hello magazines the equivalent in Russia and they feature heavily and their children are all over Instagram you know on these yachts and in these on these fantastic holidays and, and leaving these amazing lifestyle when they, they, they fly their corgis in private jets, Shavalov, who's a stoligarch, Igor Shavalov, who runs uh, Russia's development bank, Veb, Veb Toichkuru. He, you know, he, he flies his corgis uh, in his, his private jet, his Goldstream jet when he goes on holidays to Italy. Well, unfortunately, he, he won't be going on holidays uh, to, to Italy for a while. It was uh, it was funny that uh, Joseph Borrell, um, the EU's foreign policy chief, um, he put out a tweet, which he, he I think he deleted it pretty quickly afterwards. He said the oligarchs can kiss goodbye to shopping in Milano and uh, holidaying in Saint-Tropez. I don't think any of us will lose any sleep over uh, an oligarch missing out on his private jet trip um, in the coming weeks. Uh, Jason, thank <laughs> you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. 
My thanks there to Jason Corcoran, journalist, and Richard Kern, Irish Independent and Sunday Independent columnist. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was presented and produced by myself. Research by Tabitha Monahan, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Clips from CBS News, CNBC News, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS, NBC News and Bloomberg News. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.